Welcome to Lizzie Borden, you're a murderer, but God has not forgotten you. May it please your honor, Mr. Foreman and gentlemen, one of the most dastardly and diabolical of crimes that was ever committed in Massachusetts was perpetrated in August 1892 in the city of Fall River. The reputation of Fall River has been besmirched. But, gentlemen, they hang upon that one blue dress. That one blue dress. But I ask them this. If Lizzie Borden killed her mother at 9.45 o'clock in that morning, having on that blue dress, do you think that it is probable besmeared and bedaubed by those numerous blows, blood flying all over the walls and the furniture on the bed and everywhere. Wasn't she touched it all over with that terrifying blood? I am a widow, have been a resident of Fall River more than 43 years, and have lived in my present house nearly all my life. It is the house next north of the Borden house. My household consists of my mother, sister, son, niece, and a man who works for us. Have known the Borden family for 20 years. Have been on calling terms with them. I saw Mr. Borden on the morning of August 4th, about 9 o'clock. I was in my kitchen, and he was standing by his steps. At 11 o'clock, I went to M.T. Hudner's Market on South Main Street to buy some things for dinner. When I got back to Second Street, I saw Bridget Sullivan crossing the street from Dr. Bowen's to the Borden house. She was walking fast. She looked very white, and I thought someone was sick. I went into my house, put down my bundles, and looked out my kitchen window. Miss Lizzie Borden was standing inside their screen door at the side of their house. I opened the window and said, Lizzie, what is the matter? She replied, Oh, Mrs. Churchill, do come over. Someone has killed father. John V. Morris stated to me that he left the Borden homestead on 2nd Street at about 8.50 a.m., and went to see a nephew and niece whom he had never seen before, so he said, who were stopping at Mr. Emery's at number 4 Waybosset Street. Mr. Morris said he went there and remained until 11.30, arriving there at about 9.30. Leaving number 4 Waybosset at 11.30, he said he took a streetcar going directly back to the Borden home, arriving there about 11.50, when he found that Mr. and Mrs. Borden had been murdered. That was the first he knew of it. He told reporter Porter of the Daily Globe that the first he knew of it was when he was telephoned for. To prove the truth or falsity of the above statement, I went to the home of Mr. Emery at number 4 Waybosset Street. Mrs. Emery said Mr. Morris did come there at about 9.40 and left there at 11.20, 
or thereabouts, that he did meet his nephew and niece. She also said Mr. Morris had not been to their house before in several years. She asked him to remain to dinner, but he declined, saying something about going to New Bedford, to which place they understood he was going after leaving the house. He left by the front door, but she does not know whether or not he took a streetcar. household, I was sometimes called Maggie by Miss Emma and Miss Lizzie. Had been working for Mr. Borden two years and nine months at the time of his death. There was no other domestic servant. But a man from the farm used to come and do chores. His first name was Alfred. I don't know his other name. My work was washing, ironing, and cooking and sweeping. Washing, ironing, and cooking and sweeping. Washing, ironing, and cooking and sweeping. I did not have the care of any of the bedchambers except my own, My room was in the third story, right over Mr. Borden's, and his was over the kitchen. I remember Mr. Morse coming to the house sometimes, and staying overnight. I saw him after dinner on the Wednesday before the deaths. Mrs. Borden got dinner for him. I washed the dishes. Constable F. L. Edson, Fall River, Massachusetts. Friday, August 5th, 1892. At 5.55 a.m., I went from the police station to the residence of the late A.J. Borden, number 92 Second Street. Arrived there at about 6 a.m., entered the house by the side door on the north side of the house. Officer Harrington was on duty at the door. The door from the entry to the kitchen was open. J.B. Morris was in the front of the stove. We did not speak. I went down to the cellar from the entry went into the washroom and the southmost corner of the cellar. On the floor were two axes and a single hatchet. On a bench or table were a number of wet towels. There was blood on the towels. I went upstairs with the axes and hatchet, met Harrington at the door. Harrington said, there was one more hatchet in the cellar. I went down to the cellar again, Harrington with me, in the vegetable cellar off washroom. Harrington handed me a hatchet from a shelf or scaffold. We then went upstairs and out of the house. On the steps, I saw John V. Morse coming from the backyard. I said, good morning, he answered. I went from there directly to the police station, arriving there at about 6.23 a.m. At the police station, I examined the axes. They were common ones, had been used rough, the single hatchet the same. The large hatchet was in good condition and very sharp. On the back blade, near the handle, was a spot of rust or blood. From the spot to the handle was a light-colored hair. There were dark spots on the handle. Do not know whether they were dirt or blood. The blade appeared to have been in water. The extreme length of this hatchet was about 17 inches. The blade was about 5 inches broad. The head and claw on head, about 1 inch wide and about 2.5 inches long. Her face Dear Miss Borden, I have a warrant for your arrest for the murder of Andrew J. Borden. Do you wish me to read it? I'm Officer William H. Medley, Fall River Police Department, August 4th, 1892. Called to the Marshal's office in a hurry at 11.30 from my beat. It might have been a few minutes earlier. 
jumped in a team, and was soon at the office. I was then ordered to the Borden homestead on 2nd Street. On arrival there, I found Andrew J. Borden and his wife. Had a talk with Lizzie about the deaths of her parents. I asked her where she was when this thing happened. She said she was upstairs in the barn. And on coming into the house, found her father all cut and bleeding on the lounge. She then called Maggie and then Mrs. Churchill. She did not have any idea who could have done it. Who could have done it? I knew I saw her in tears that morning. Inspection of the victims disclosed that Mrs. Borden had been slain by the use of some sharp and terrible instrument, flicking upon her head 18 blows. 18 blows. 13 of them crushing through the skull, and below stairs, lying upon the sofa, was Mrs. Borden's dead and mutilated body, with 11 strokes on the head, four of them crushing the skull. They were well-directed blows. They were not the result of blundering. They were aimed steadily and constantly for a purpose, each one finding its place where it was aimed, and none of them going amiss on the side of one or the other. Surely, we are prompted to say at the outset, the perpetrator of that act knew how to handle the instrument was experienced in its control, had directed it before or others like it, and it was not the careless, sudden, untrained doing of somebody who had been unfamiliar with such implements. Miss Russell came soon afterwards, and Lizzie said she wished someone would try to find Mrs. Borden. So Bridget and I started. She led the way. As I went upstairs, I turned my head to the left, and when I got up so my eyes were level with the front hall, I could see across the floor of the spare room. At the far side, I saw something that looked like the form of a person. Turned and went back. I don't know what I said. I went into the dining room and made some noise or other, and Mrs... Russell said, is there another? I said, yes, she is up there. My God, God, her face face is all smashed in. I then rushed down the stairs and entered the dining room. I doubled myself up and uttered an exclamation of fright. Miss Alice Russell asked, is there another? I said, yes, they killed her too. They killed her too. Or something to that effect. I then informed Charles Sawyer of the fact. He made some exclamation. Dr. Bowen then returned, and I told him Mrs. Borden was upstairs in the spare room. He left the sitting room. I think to go upstairs. I then thought I would go home and said, Lizzie, if there's anything you wish me to do, let me know later on. She said, there will be plenty to do by and by, by and by. I knew I saw her in tears that morning. I am business manager for Mr. Andrew J. Borden for the Borden Block. I did not see Mr. Borden Thursday. I have had charge of the block almost since it was built. He used to come in once in a while, but not every day. Nearly always alone. 
The only other person who ever came with him was his wife, excepting once when Lizzie came with him to sign a deed conveying some property she owned to her father. This property was owned jointly by the two sisters and was situated on Ferry Street. Lizzie has been here three or four times. Once came to ask me about the value of the property she was going to convey to her father. I told her, and she went away. I do not think Mr. Borden had made a will, unless it has been made recently. I will tell you how I know. He came to my office one day when I was writing, and waited until I finished, when I told him I was just writing a will. He said, Charles, do you know that is something I have never done yet, but I must tend to it. I do not like to answer that question, on account of my position as custodian of property, as I do not know what my relations may be with the family when this thing is settled. I did not go out that afternoon. I guess I was ironing. There was no change in that door, down to the time of the murders. So far as I know, it stayed bolted. There was more or less traffic on 2nd Street. Folks, carriages and teams. I went up to my room Wednesday afternoon, say about quarter to five. I left the screen door hooked. Mr. and Mrs. Borden were sick on Wednesday morning. I was well until Thursday, when I got up with a headache. When I went to the front door on Wednesday to let Dr. Bowen in, the door was spring-locked. When I went out to my friends on 3rd Street that evening, I left the back door locked. I let myself in with a key. The back door had two spring-locks and a bolt. I locked all of them when I came in and hooked the screen door too. I went to the ice chest, took a glass of milk, and went to bed. Five minutes later, Miss Lizzie came through to the kitchen. I was washing the dishes, and I asked her what did she want for breakfast. She said she didn't know if she wanted any breakfast, but she guessed she would have something. She guessed she would have some coffee and cookies. I didn't see Mr. Borden after he went up to his room. I finished my dishes and took them in the dining room. Mrs. Borden was there. She was dusting the door between the sitting room and the dining room. She had no covering on her hair. She said she wanted the windows washed, inside and outside both. She said they are awful dirty. After that... I didn't see Miss Borden anymore until I found her dead upstairs. The enormity and outrage startled everyone and set it all into the most diligent inquiry as to the perpetrator of such terrible acts. Our society is so constituted, gentlemen, that every man feels that the right must be done, and the wrong punished, and the wicked doer brought to his account as promptly as due process of the law will permit. Lizzie! Lizzie! Did you kill your father? Did you do it? Lizzie! Lizzie! I began to wash the window next to the front door. Had not seen anyone since I saw Lizzie at the screen door. Then I heard like a person at the door was trying to unlock the door, but could not so. So I went to the front door and unlocked it. The spring lock was locked. I unbolted the door and it was locked with a key. There were three locks. I said, psh, ah, and Miss Lizzie laughed upstairs. Her father was out there on the doorstep. She was upstairs. I knew there was an old axe down cellar. That is all I knew. Psh, ah. The government 
stakes his case on that one dress. The government says, there is a dispute here, a disagreement, not intentional, but unavoidable among the persons who saw what Lizzie Borden had on that morning. Dr. Dolan, the medical examiner, who saw what Lizzie Borden had on this morning. Then the government does not want that dress, but another. They want the Bedford cord. We will talk about it then. Let us look at it. Suppose they had this Bedford cord. Then, of course, they're going to say, oh, but she changed her dress. And then, when she killed her father, she either had that back again, or she put on another. Did she have it back again? Then she had to have put that on over her clothes again and over her person, exposing herself to have her underclothing soiled in that way, a thing not probable in any way. And then, if she put on another dress, then there are two dresses to burn and dispose of instead of one. And the government only wants one. They have all the rest. Think of it that she walked right into that sea of blood and stood there slashing it all over herself in the first murder and then went and took off that dress and laid it away until her father came in and then dressed herself for the second slaughter. It is horrible to contemplate. I said it was not morally or physically possible, and yet the government is driven to that extremity in this theory. I had had no information about this except what I saw myself as my head rose above the level of the floor. I remember that later Miss Lizzie said that she should have to go to the cemetery and I said, oh no, the undertaker will attend to everything for you. When it is time, I want Winwood for an undertaker. Lizzie, 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 do you have a moment? Can you have a statement for the paper, please? William Medley, August 5th, 1892. In accordance with instructions, I visited New Bedford. I find that Lizzie Borden arrived in that city on Thursday, July 21st, and went to Mrs. Poole's, the mother of a friend, a former schoolmate living near South Water Street. While there, she never went out alone, always going in the company of the family, with one exception that being Saturday morning, July 23rd, when she went on the street to buy a piece of dress goods of some cheap material, being gone about one and thirty minutes. She went alone and returned alone. No one called to see her while here. She never made mention of her family affairs. On Tuesday, Lizzie, Mrs. Poole, and Mrs. Poole's daughter went to ride to Westport to see Mrs. Poole's daughter, who was a schoolmate of Lizzie's, and who is now married to Cyrus W. Tripp. They spent the day there, leaving time enough for Lizzie to connect with train at New Bedford for Fall River. That was the last time the Pools saw her. While at Westport, Lizzie saw no one outside of the family. Made this visit to New Bedford August 7th. One to commit such a murder must have been without heart, without soul, a fiend incarnate, the very vilest of degraded and depraved humanity, or he must have been a maniac. I never saw her in tears that morning. I am Mrs. Bowen, wife to Dr. Bowen. I was sitting at the parlor window, awaiting the return of my daughter. I concluded she was not coming, got up, went through the sitting room, and looked at the clock, 
which indicated 10.55. I went through the dining room into the next room for a piece of cloth of 10 yards, which I wished to measure and cut in two. I had not finished measuring when the doorbell rang violently. I went to the call and found Mr. Borden's work girl who wanted the doctor, who was out. Dr. Bowen returned home and went to Mr. Borden's at 11.25. Monday, August 8, 1892. About 10 a.m. went to the A.J. Borden house with Charles H. Byron, officers Desmond, Medley, Connors, and Quigley. Desmond asked permission to search the premises of Miss Lizzie and Emma. They gave consent. We searched the cellar, chimneys, sounded walls and floor, after which we searched the barn, outhouse, under outhouse, yard, lumber pile in the yard, and adjoining yards. We found no weapon or anything suspicious. The search was complete about 1.30 p.m. Dr. Albert C. Dietrich. I was going on a call to Whipple Street when I saw Dr. Dolan drive along 2nd Street like mad and stop at Mr. Borden's. When I returned, there was a large crowd there when I went in. Mr. Borden's left hand, which rested on his hip, was smeared with blood. I called Dr. Bowen's attention to it. I went upstairs and as I entered, I noticed the basin which was on the washstand contained water stained with blood. I called Dr. Bowen's attention to this, and he said perhaps some of the doctors washed their hands there. Afterwards, I saw Dr. Dolan wash his hands there. I remember this distinctly, for I had put my hands in Mrs. Borden's wounds. And when I washed my hands, I took the towel from Dr. Dolan, who had just finished drying his. I think Mrs. Borden was dead first, for when I took hold of her arm, it was cold, clammy, and very stiff. When I took hold of Mr. Borden's, to look at the blood on his hands, it bent very easily. I do not want to get into the case, but I'll tell you just as I saw and found things. Officer Harrington, Fall River, August 10th, went today to make measurements of the barn and its distances from the house. The nearest point of the barn to the back door of the house, about 22 feet. From the side, or small door, of the barn to the back door, about 41 feet. Space vacant in the barn, when I made my examination, about 14 feet square. Found a box of leaf lead, weighing perhaps 15 pounds, at a distance of about 3 feet 2 inches from the door on the ground floor of the barn. Found a piece of lead pipe, about 4 or 5 feet long, laying on the ground of the barn. Distance from the door, about five feet. This lead was in full view and could readily be seen by anyone. I saw this lead also on the afternoon of August 4th. I am Mrs. Perry Gifford. We do sewing for the Borden family. I have heard Lizzie say harsh things of her stepmother. She said she did not and would not dine at the same table. She also said her stepmother was a horrid old thing. She was very pronounced and outspoken when referring to Mrs. Borden. This occurred last April. Wednesday, August 10th, 1892. Doherty and Harrington. A story was circulated that Lizzie tried to induce Bridget 
to leave the house by reminding her of a cheap sale of dress goods at F.E. Sargent's and offered her money to purchase one pattern after Bridget said she could not afford it. Bridget denies this but says that Lizzie told her of the sale and she, Bridget, said, well, I am going to have one. I knew I saw her in tears that morning. When the perpetrator of this foul deed is found, it will be one of the household. Now, I had a long talk with Lizzie yesterday, Thursday, the day of the murder, and I am not at all satisfied with statement or demeanor. Now, she was too solicitous about his comfort and showed a side of character I never knew or even suspected her to possess. Now, she helped him off with one coat and on with another and, and assisted him in an easy incline on the sofa and desired to place an afghan over him and also to adjust the shutters so the light would not disturb his slumber. Now, this is something she could not do, even if she felt. And, and no one who knows her could be made believe it. She is very strong-willed and will fight for what she considers her rights. I know you did it, Lizzie! You're the murderer! Transcriptions of the witness statements of Lizzie Borden, provided with permission by Stephanie Corey and LizzieAndrewBorden.com.